Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today on the podcast, we have somebody doing that exact thing. We have Heather Zuba. Heather worked her way from over a four-hour marathoner to a 312 marathoner. She also is a uh, an engineer, and as she puts it, she's a, a nerd by day, runner by night, and uh, she's a, she is a, just a blast to talk to. I was so happy to talk to her uh, for this podcast, not only because of her running prowess, and shoot, running a 312 marathon is so impressive, but the way she's able to balance it with the rest of her life, and in addition to that, she has the unique, uh, I guess the unique aspect of her life where she's actually uh, engaged to her coach. So she's engaged to James McCurdy from McCurdy Trained. I know a lot of us have a coach uh, that we work with remotely. That is the exact opposite of what Heather's got going on and, in fact, is now a coach herself with McCurdy Trained. So I was excited to talk to her on a bunch of different fronts. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Heather. And before we get into it, I want to give some give uh, give someone a shout out uh, for a review they left on Apple Podcasts. I got a, a four star review recently. I really appreciated the feedback because in the comment, this individual said, "Hey, I love the show, but there's one thing that I'm having trouble with." He said the audio quality is a little tough because your volume is not matching the volume of your guests, and I find myself having to toggle the volume back and forth. So whoever left that review, thank you so much. I got a little more hands on with this episode, and I hopefully I fixed that problem, and I hope you have a great listening experience, not only with this episode, but with every episode moving forward. So thank you so much for that review. I really appreciate it, and it hopefully, and hopefully it helps make the show better. So with that being said, I hope you like this episode with Heather Zuba. Hello, Heather, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Matt. I'm so excited to be here. That makes two of us. Thank you so much for joining me. Man, yes, I'm. I have no chill about this, as I've told you a few times now. So um, I'm very enthusiastic, and everyone can probably tell that. That's that's exactly what we like to hear. You know, ramble on. That's why we call it the <laughs> Rambling Runner Podcast. So I'm I'm totally into it. And uh, you're actually traveling for work now. And um, one thing that I mentioned in the introduction is that not only are you a runner, you're a 312 marathoner, um, certainly very capable in that aspect. You're also a coach with McCurdy Train, but you have a whole full-time job on top of this. Yeah, I do. Um, so I am actually a, a software engineer, um, so nerdy by day, athletic by night. Um, I... <laughs> You know, I, I have a I have a, a day job. It's usually a nine to five, but sometimes I work extra hours. Sometimes I travel. Um, I'm actually working remotely right now, which is an adventure I got into over the past year. So I live in Arizona, but my company is based in upstate New York, where I'm from originally. So every now and then I do go back to the office to spend some, you know, quality FaceTime with coworkers and everything. Uh, so that's what I'm I'm up to right now. So where are you from in upstate New York? Syracuse area, actually. So smack dab in the middle of the state. Oh, okay. Got it. So there's not a lot in the middle of New York. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> yeah, when you say upstate to some people, you know, you if you say New York, people think New York City. So then you say upstate New York, and then people from New York City still think you mean like Westchester County, like that sort of thing. Maybe Albany if you're lucky, but no, sometimes <laughs> you need to actually clarify 
middle of the state, middle of nowhere, upstate, upstate. That's true. For 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 a Manhattanite, upstate is Yonkers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, actually, it's, I went to school in Poughkeepsie, New York. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So in part of you know, so I played college basketball, and for our league games, basically all the other schools were in New York, and we were the southernmost school, and we were in Poughkeepsie, so we were driving all over the place. Yeah. So yeah. I've seen a whole bunch of whole bunch in the New York region. Yep. You got to go pretty far to yeah. So lots of road trips. Oh, no, absolutely. So you're in a situation where you kind of have a very dedicated side hustle in a way with your coaching. So what made you want to get into the coaching, the coaching thing, knowing that, you know, you're also you're, you're working hard at your day job. You have, a, you know, that that job is, I would assume, being an engineer, you know, there's a lot to it. And then you also are a very dedicated runner. And I can't wait to talk about that. But what made you want to get into the coaching as well? Yeah, Um you know, I certainly had enough on my plate already. Um, <laughs> my job is pretty stressful um, most of the time. Um, and I am very serious about my own running and my own training. But um, I just get a lot of joy and always have about talking training, like talking shop with other runners. Um, a lot of my friends and I now at this point, you know, our most common bond, I guess, is is running. And I always love like hearing splits from people's workouts and this and that and talking about race goals and how achievable they are and how people are going to get there. And so that's something that's been kind of building, I guess, over the past few years. Um, and then, you know, one day it just kind of clicked for me, like, man, like, why don't I try to do this? You know, I'm, I'm already like, you know, kind of giving some informal guidance to some of my friends and to some acquaintances, like, why don't I try to take on a few athletes and, and see what that's like? Um, so I kind of did that on my own to start before I started coaching under the McCurdy trains umbrella. Um, Cause I kind of wanted to get a feel for it. And, you know, I don't have a ton of extra time in my day. So I wanted to make sure that it was the right call and it was something that I was going to stay passionate about, but I really enjoyed working with the athletes I was working with. And so bing, bang, boom, joined up with the McCurdy train team. Um, I certainly can't take on a ton of athletes because I am busy, but you know, the ones that I do work with, I, I really enjoy it. It's, it's just something I'm very passionate about. And when you first started on taking on clients, how do you go about, you know, kind of drawing that business? Um, you know, a lot of it was just conversations that happened sort of accidentally, I guess I'll say. Um, I, when I first started running, I felt like I was kind of in the dark. Like I was reading a lot of material in, in print, like magazines and training plans and all of that. But what I felt I was always missing was like the human element of it. How, how do I actually like adapt this to me and to my life? And I feel like I personally learned so much through trial and error that if I see people who are struggling with things or post and posting about that on social media, you know, usually is the most common form of, of expressing those frustrations. You know, I'm not afraid at this point to kind of jump in and, and offer my insights, um, you know, take it or leave it for sure. I, I don't know everything, of course. But so those conversations sort of started organically. Um, and the, the first athlete I started working with was someone that I knew um, from my other work life as an engineer. Um, and she was just kind of feeling stuck and struggling. She had qualified for Boston and felt like she might not get back there ever again. And I was basically just like, let me coach you now. Um, and she let that happen. So <laughs> jokes on her maybe, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just became a lot of fun and something that I enjoyed. So, 
you know, I, I just enjoy talking, training with people. And sometimes that relationship develops out of it. Oh, of course it would. Right. Cause for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's not only a physical release, but it's a mental and emotional one as well. Yeah. You know, people are very passionate about running, uh, which is amazing to see, you know, most of my athletes and all of my athletes, they all have, you know, other elements to their life. They all have professional jobs. They all have, you know, families or significant others or children or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, we're all pretty well-rounded people, but that doesn't take away the fact that we care, you know, about our, our race performances that we're improving in this area. And I think it's a really awesome outlet because it's allowing you to devote some time to yourself, to your own, you know, quote unquote, selfish goals. But it's a, it's a good, healthy outlet that allows you to be balanced in those other areas of your life. Yeah, and there's a lot of coaches out there, and even with McCurdy Trained, who are, you know, my coach is, is a good example of this. No, she doesn't work with McCurdy Trained, uh, but she's a professional runner, is that, you know, for for a lot of these folks, uh, I shouldn't include my, my coach in this because she also is a full-time grad school student, but um, <laughs> is that running is their life, and then they're able to coach off of that. But for you, you have a very different scenario. As we've mentioned, you have a full-time job. So do you feel like th- that, through that combination of factors, you're able to maybe connect with some of your clients in a way um, that's a little more, is a little deeper because you can relate experientially to what they're going through. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I don't think the coach athlete relationship is one size fits all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what mm-hmm. someone might need is very different from what their brother or sister might need or their best friend might need, or, you know, a runner on their other team on their same team might need, you know what I mean? So I think it's good to explore the coaching options out there. But I also think that it's good that there are options that aren't just all pro athletes. Um, You know, I think sometimes your existence as a pro has been very different from that of most regular runners. Um, You might not have ever had the experience of having to go to a shoe store and try on different shoes because maybe you've had a sponsor your whole life. You know, Um, you might not be able to grasp conceptually what it really means to be going out there and time trialing most of your races, as opposed to just purely competitive racing. Um, I have, I have no idea what that feels like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's different. Like your life has just been molded differently when you're at the top of your sport and you have been for a long time. Uh, You know, I started out with, fairly modest beginnings. I mean, I don't know. It's all a comparison game, right? Uh, it's all relative, uh, unfortunately, and, and fortunately, I guess. There's pros and cons to it. Um, but, you know, I started out as somebody who had no idea what they were doing. Like, I ran my first marathon on 11 miles per week. I can tell you, don't do that. Um, that sounds that sounds like a great strategy, Heather. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. You put, put, in, put in 11 miles a month, and you're ready to go for your first marathon? <laughs> If you want to really hurt really badly, it's a great way to achieve that. But other than that, maybe not the best way to approach it. But I mean, I, I went through so much trial and error, um, you know, and I have I know what it's like to be, you know, kind of a middle of the pack runner. And I know what it's like to still want to work hard towards those, you know, those goals that I have personally. And and it's kind of weird. Like I, I came from a place of like feeling like I didn't deserve to devote a lot of time or energy towards them because I wasn't, you know, quote unquote, sub elite or elite or like good, you know, I identified as an engineer, as a, you know, an intellectual, as a, 
you know, as a girlfriend and a daughter and all of those things. And I never really saw myself as an athlete. And then when I kind of changed that mindset, um, you know, gradually over time, and I realized that this was something worth pursuing, you know, just for the pure fact that it's important to me, it doesn't matter how good or not good I am, you know, that's a relative term. Um, And so I think that experience is something that a lot of people can relate to. Um, You know, I think everybody's kind of on their own journey in that regard, and maybe at different stages in it. But I think, you know, I can relate to some of my athletes who are sort of in that position of, you know, trying to balance everything um, and, and not being able to just be a runner first. Yeah. And as you said, you weren't always this way. Shoot, I loved your post about back in 2006 and for Halloween you used to dress up as an athlete just because you thought it was ironic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's totally true. I was basically as far from athletic as you could possibly get growing up, um, save for a one-year stint on the modified volleyball team in, I think, seventh grade. Hold on, um, hold on, hold on. What, what in the world is modified volleyball? It's like volleyball for people who, for like young kids who like can't like play regular sports yet. <laughs> it was I don't even know what possessed me to to try out for it, but it's like before you can get to JV. Um, And, and so I don't even know, gosh, I think I skipped most of the practices because I was just so overwhelmed and I couldn't, I had no hand-eye coordination. I couldn't serve. I I certainly couldn't spike. I could barely make contact with the ball. I was like, what am I doing here? Wow. So uh, that was sort of the end of, of, uh, the end of any dream of being an athlete in in school for me so then what then what about post 2006 made you want to get into running i mean what what was the line of demarcation for you from not being an athlete to all of a sudden becoming one um well honestly like it's a little embarrassing i guess i don't know why i'd be embarrassed about it but i had a rough time in college um i was really pretty unhappy and instead of dealing with that in healthy ways I chose to drink a lot and eat junk food so shockingly enough I can't imagine how this happened my weight sort of skyrocketed um and I didn't really like notice I guess like I'm tall so I can carry a little extra weight without it being you know totally shocking and drastic you know when I look in the mirror but one day I went to the doctor and and my doctor was like you know, your cholesterol's high and you're kind of heavy. Like you should, you should watch this. And it was like a life-changing moment. I, Cause I couldn't believe, like, I mean, I knew I was carrying some extra weight, but I, I didn't think I was anywhere near the point where a doctor would voice concern over it. Now, what um, age, what age was that? Oh gosh. I think I was 24. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'd been out of college for a few years, but my, my college lifestyle kind of stayed with me for a little bit. Um, so I I think from that moment, I just sort of realized like, okay, it's, it's time to do something about this. Um, I, I did not immediately think of running. I'll, I'll be honest. I kind of, I, I started a a gym and, and would, uh, hit the elliptical because that seemed most feasible, I guess. I didn't know what I was doing in a weight room and I certainly didn't think I could run, um, and then, uh, the guy I was dating at the time, I was getting so bored because the elliptical is pretty boring. Um, and he was, he suggested that, you know, maybe just try 10 minutes of running at a time, like maybe just switch it up. So I did. Um, and I remember hopping on the treadmill and jogging at 
maybe like a 10, 10 and a half minute pace for 10 minutes and then hopping onto the elliptical to finish out my session. And I remember seeing a girl um, on the treadmill, like three treadmills down from where I'd been running. And she was running like 10 minute miles, but she ran for an hour. And I was like, man, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm going to run for an hour. If, if she can do it, I can do it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do this. And that, that became like my next mission. And then from there, it just sort of like fed into this competitive side in my brain um, that it was like just pushing the boundary a little bit further, a little bit further, seeing how much further I could go. And, and it just kind of became addictive from there. So it was, it's not as if you didn't know that there were runners out there. So what about that runner in particular, do you think caused you to kind of have that, you know, light bulb above the head moment? You know, I did know that people like ran for fun. They were kind of like aliens to me, I guess. Um, I didn't really know a lot about like races. I knew about the Boston Marathon um, because a family friend had run it back in 1996. And I think that was the 100th anniversary or something like that. I, it was like a, a landmark uh, year for Boston. Um so I remember him talking about that and I was like, huh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Marathon. Sure. Um, but I really didn't think that like, I don't know, for some reason it didn't click in my head that people would ever run for more than like 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, like, so it was sort of like this foreign knowledge that was like circling the universe somewhere, but I hadn't like fully grasped it yet. And then somehow when I saw this girl who, I mean, honestly just looked like an, an average healthy girl out for a run, but she ran for an hour and I was just so impressed by that. Like, Wow she ran for an entire hour. Like, that's amazing. People do this. Like, people do this for fun. And if she can do it, I can do it. And that just sort of opened, like, Pandora's box into, you know, learning more about distance racing and, and kind of discovering some running blogs and, and some of, uh, like, Runner's World. Um, I used to, you know, read their forums almost every day. And, and that's just kind of what caused the, the snowball effect for me. Now, were you competitive in any other areas of your life prior to this? Academically, I definitely was. So the, so the competitive nature is definitely there um, and always has been there. But I just, I think if I had maybe had a, a more successful introduction into team sports at a younger age, it probably would have come out back then in, in, in athletics as well. Um, but academically, I... I don't know that I really like enjoyed school that much. I just felt like I needed to get better grades than other people. That sounds terrible, but, but it's true. Um, so I would, I would kind of view school as like just the way that I could kind of compete against other people for lack of a better term. That's just where my competitiveness was channeled. Um, but then I, I saw it coming out in other ways in running. And, and, and so it's weird. It definitely wasn't like I identified as an athlete right away. It probably took five or six years of running for me to actually view myself in that way. But I realize now, like I, I just do kind of have that competitive mindset. Right. And it's funny because at first glance, I would assume that that external competitive nature would almost dissuade you from running in a way because you were such a novice. You just say like, hey, like I can't beat that person. I can't beat these people. I need to find something else. Maybe I'll find something that's like novel or new that I can do because then everyone's an amateur. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting um, because I definitely have talked to some people who kind of have similar feelings or 
or they they tend to get stuck in the comparison trap a little bit more often than others do. And I mean, I won't say I'm completely immune to that, um, but I've always just viewed it as a competition against myself rather than against others. Hmm. It was always about like initially it was about pushing the distance. You know, I can only run for 10 minutes now. Can I get to half an hour? Okay, can I get to an hour? Okay, now that I can get to an hour, what's next? Um, When I ran my first 5K, I then realized that there was like a performance aspect to it that I was missing. So then it became like, okay, well, I ran it in this amount of time. You know, can I run it a little bit faster next time? Um, But it was always me competing against myself. I really didn't care too much about what anyone else was doing. Um, it, It was really just about, like this this new party trick I had discovered, like, like how far <laughs> I can run today. Um, and and then, it's you know, and it's uh if you don't mind me jumping in there, it's it's oh, almost it's pretty fortunate that you viewed it in terms of you viewed improvement in terms of distance instead of speed because by improving distance while not trying to run faster, you almost ensured that you weren't going to get hurt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I won't say I was necessarily the wisest about that because aforementioned 11 miles per week that I considered marathon training somehow but um but yeah I mean I think that I did gradually ease into it as as much as one can you know I didn't all of a sudden start trying to like sprint every single run or you know go out there and just like positive split the crap out of 5k's because I had no idea how to pace myself or you know, so I did avoid some of those mistakes that can that can make you maybe a little bit more prone to injury because my approach was definitely more of a slow and steady one. Now, your first marathon, was that 2013 or was there one before that? No, it was, uh, oh gosh, um, I think it was 2011. Okay, so what made you want to jump into the marathon with such little training going into it? Well, little training wasn't exactly my intention, I guess. I, I So... It was weird. I had sort of, um, I'd found a training plan online somewhere, maybe from Runner's World. I'm not sure. And I had every intention of following it, but I still was kind of like half committed, I guess I'll say. Like, I really enjoyed every time I set a new distance PR. Like, it was very, um, it was very exciting to me to run further than I had ever run before. But I still wasn't running very consistently and I wasn't doing any speed work. So everything was just kind of like, moseying same you know regular easy pace every single day and you know I just I wanted to push the boundary of of how far I could run but I really almost didn't even deserve to run a marathon I guess I'll say Um, you know I certainly wasn't very committed to it I didn't follow through on the training plan I skipped a lot of runs Um, it was just sort of a it was more like I was approaching it like a bucket list kind of thing like oh I can just get through this and I'll, that's what I'll do. I'll just get through it rather than trying to like run a certain time or run well or, or compete well or anything like that, if that makes sense. So what was your race day experience like? Um, so, gosh, I'm just going to sound like even more of a brat right now, I think. But it honestly was one of – I've run 10 marathons now, and I would say it was actually like probably my third best marathon. What? Um, <laughs> I know. So my watch died. My watch died at mile 10 because so much of a newbie, I didn't even think to like charge my watch up the night before. Um, And I really had no idea what to expect on race day. So I just kind of started out running at a pace that I thought I could reasonably hold for 26 miles. I ended up only positive splitting by like three seconds. So I don't know how I did that with a dead watch. Um, (laughs) 
I guess your body does kind of actually know the fine art of pacing, uh, even as a total noob. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, it hurt at the end, don't get me wrong. And I couldn't walk for like a week afterwards. But in terms of like pacing and not feeling like that, that terrible soul crushing, like can't move my quads anymore if I tried sort of wall crashing experience, I didn't have that, which I then did have in many subsequent marathons. Wow. See, that's that's almost a miracle, right? Because I can imagine if you had that sort of experience, how things might have changed after that. Oh, my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so I don't know what exactly happened and clicked on race day, if that was just race day magic or if me just like completely putting ego in time or anything like that or not really have even having that at that point in time. You know, just kind of being like, I'm going to run easy and just complete this thing. I think it was it was a blessing in disguise because I do think if I had you know, tried to go out of the gate running like eight minute miles or something like that, I would have been in for such a world of hurt. I probably never would have returned. And what, what marathon was that? And what, uh, what time did you run? Um, it was the Empire State Marathon in Syracuse, New York. Uh, it was the first year of its running. Um, so I figured why the heck not uh, hometown race. Um, and I ran a 357 and some change. Okay, so that, I, breaking four for a first marathon is huge. So that is, uh, I can see why that was a nice springboard for you. And the reason I mentioned 2013 earlier, because that, it's a really good comparison between that and then 2017. Um, so 2013, you run CIM. You actually go there with a friend whose, whose goal was to break 315, and you end up running 402. So at that point, you've been running for – you know, a reasonably long time, right? So you, you have some marathon experience under your belt. You run 402, which is actually slower than your first marathon. What was that What was that feeling like for you? You go you're there with a friend who's, you know, 45 minutes faster than you are. What made you think at that point, like, hey, I, you know, I want to dedicate myself to this endeavor as opposed to going the other way? <laughs> well, I will admit that, uh, for a few weeks after that race, I was like, mm, maybe I'll just run half marathons from now on. <laughs> um, it was uh, it was upsetting. Um, and it was, I guess I'll say, um, you know, for starters, I felt like I didn't really, well, now I feel like I didn't really deserve that 357. You know, I didn't really train. I'm so lucky to have been able to run a time like that. Um, but I think I kind of, I think that's when my ego started to get fed a little bit, if you will. Um, I was kind of like, huh, you know, if I can do that without really working that hard, like I should be able to BQ pretty easily, which is so arbitrary. Um, that was based on absolutely nothing. Um, so then the marathons that followed were basically based on me running a little bit more than I had before, but having no reason to actually like say a BQ was possible and then me crashing and burning. Um, so after doing that a few times, I went to CIM with my friend and uh, my goal wasn't to actually BQ there. I'd learned my lesson, but I thought like, okay, like I should be able to run 340 to 345-ish. And then boom, like again, I, I just, I crashed so hard. You know, I started at 824s, which I thought was pretty reasonable. And I just felt like the hills ate me alive. And then my, my quads were cramping in a way I'd never experienced before. Like I was actually laughing on the course because it was just so unbelievable to me, like how I wasn't even able to move. And, you know, it was kind of, 
it was kind of like such a mixed day because I was so excited for my friend. You know, she, she ran such a great race, such a smart race, crushed the time she was going for. Um, but I myself felt so lost and I was like, maybe I need to take a step back. Um, but then those emotions kind of fade, you know, time heals all. Um, and then I decided like, okay, you're doing something wrong. You know, you're, you're either you're training wrong or you're picking goals wrong or a combination of both. Like, but you can figure this out. You know, this is, think of it as like a, a math problem you have to solve. Like you can figure this out. Like, let's go again, get back up on the horse. And now knowing what you know now, what would you say were some of the things that you did wrong going into that race? Oh my gosh. Like basically everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, my, my training was terrible in, in retrospect, um, you know, and I mean, I, it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to just complete a marathon, you can do lots of like nice, easy running, just work on the time on your feet. And, you know, as long as you are reasonable about increasing your mileage, increasing your long run, you'll be able to complete 26 miles. It won't be a problem. Um, but the second you change your goal from trying to complete something to trying to perform at something, and this really, I think, is anything, but it's just exacerbated by the distance of the marathon, um, you really need to start doing a little bit more in training that's going to give you that race specificity. So including some marathon pace miles. I mean, even just for like nutrition practice, your body burns glycogen at a different rate when you're running at X intensity versus your easy pace. And if you don't know what that feels like and you don't know how to fuel while you're running at that intensity, you really have no choice but to fail on, on race day. Um, my, the speed workouts I had started doing, you know, yes, running faster once in a while certainly helped me get a little faster, especially in the shorter distances. But the workouts I was doing weren't really geared towards a marathon at all. They were really more geared towards performing well in like a 5K or a 10K. Um, so there just wasn't a lot that like correlated to the distance I was trying to perform in. Um, and honestly, like back then, I just still had commitment issues. Um, you know, I would I would get nervous if, if I felt sore. Um, and, and I'm not advocating for running injured at all, of course. But, you know, when you're training for a marathon, like some days you just feel like crap. Like that's just a, a fact of life, you know, and, and you just kind of that's when you need those really easy time on your feet type of runs to just get some good blood flow going but I didn't know that I didn't realize that and so you know I'd take three days off spontaneously in the in the middle of a week so my training would just fluctuate a lot because um, I didn't really have anyone guiding me and, and, and kind of reassuring me you know through some of the some of the bumps so when did you start working with a coach or someone who kind of guide you through some of those issues oh gosh well I'm stubborn as all get out so it still took a few years before I was willing to do that um <laughs> You know, I tried a couple different plans after after the race went so poorly at CIM, and I had a few more disastrous marathons, um, and I felt like I was educating myself so much more about the sport. I felt like I was understanding a lot more about what I needed to do, but for whatever reason, I, I just wasn't having success with it. Um, and my friend, the same friend who had gone to CIM with me, she had started working. And, and let's, let's, let's give her a shout out. What's her name? Sorry, I should, uh, Laura, Laura Anderson. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, she's, she's amazing. Uh, so everyone should go look her up. Um, she's basically my inspiration every day. 
but uh, so Laura had started working with a coach and she saw a lot of improvement. Um, you know, she was already, you know, a pretty, pretty talented runner having broken 315. Um, but she was just seeing a lot of improvement from working with a coach. And finally, I got it through my thick skull that it was okay to ask for help and, and reach out and, you know, see what I could really do with the, with some professional guidance. Got it. That's great. That sounds great. So that was around what, 2015. So you had a couple, couple of years with a coach before you got to the, the 312 mark. So it was, uh, it was early 2016. Um, when I started working with James of McCurdy trains, um, James. I was, yes, James McCurdy. Okay. Um, I was signed up for a June marathon in Utah at elevation to which he told me I made terrible race decisions and I was no longer allowed to make race decisions from here on out. Uh, it was very valuable advice. Um, so the idea was to kind of get through that and just kind of run it as a fun marathon, which we did. And then I was registered for Dublin, uh, Ireland in, in the fall of that year. And that was sort of the serious goal. So he took me in, you know, what was it? Six months, maybe, um, from a, a 340 marathon PR down to a 322. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of improvement quite fast. Um, I was sort of blown away. And then, you know, over the next year, we kind of worked on um, improving some of my shorter distance speed and then trying to take that into the marathon, which eventually culminated in the 312 at CIM. See, that's really interesting because for a lot of people, they view kind of the short speed work stuff as, as not necessarily marathon specific training. They kind of view, you know, the longer runs, maybe the, even the long tempos as a little bit more marathon specific, but it's interesting that for you kind of getting over the hump involved the shorter workouts. Yeah. So I, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, I feel like people who love marathons really love marathons, right? We're really motivated by marathon PRs and the marathon goal. And there's just something sort of mystical, I think, about the marathon to some people, myself included. Um, so I say that with no judgment. Um, but the thing is, is a lot of the marathon specific workouts, they really just get you ready to race. I mean, they do improve your fitness, but a lot of time you're not going to see a huge fitness increase from the marathon specific training, which is why a lot of the professionals, their marathon specific work is in short blocks, maybe eight to 12 weeks. Now that doesn't mean that they're only training for eight to 12 weeks. They're, they're training year round mostly. Um, but it's all the other work in, that they do in these periods that lead up to then a final marathon specific training block. And we can take that idea and apply it to ourselves as well. If you run marathon after marathon after marathon, you're eventually probably going to plateau and get a little stale. Um, you know, would I have improved on the 322 if I had gone into another marathon training block and run a spring race? Like, yeah, conceivably. But would I have run a 312? Absolutely not. Um, it was kind of working on that shorter stuff and kind of pushing me out of my comfort zone in that area that then when I went into the marathon specific training, I was just at this whole new fitness level. Um, so my marathon pace work was a lot faster at the same effort level. Um, you know, my threshold, my tempo type of work was a lot faster at the same effort level. Um, so that's really what I think contributed mostly to the, the jump from 322 to 312. And even the best marathoners in the world, both male and female, have that in common where, you know, these people were, you know, fantastic 5K runners and 10K runners, maybe in their, their teens or early 20s, and then maybe bumped up to the marathon a little bit later. I mean, shoot, even this past weekend, 
Emily Sisson ran a 15-16 indoor 5K at BU, and you know, she'll be running marathons later this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I'm a big fan of that, um, kind of looking to the pros and, and trying to adapt what they do to our own lives and our own training. I mean, certainly most of us aren't going to go out there and grind out 120-mile weeks. You know, we, we don't have a physical therapist on call. We don't have all of the fancy recovery gear that they might have. We, we, you know, we don't have all the time that they have. We don't have, you know, what they have in a lot of those regards. But that doesn't mean that they aren't doing some things that are very sound fundamentally and philosophically. Um, and I think that that's one of them is, is you know, taking a, taking a step back from your goal event to work on the other areas of your fitness that might need improving. And not just for 2018, but in, uh, you know, the, the 2019, 2020, 2021, what do you think you're capable of doing? When you look at, you know, not just short-term girl goals, but long-term goals, what are some of the things that you have in your mind? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, so I used to be very black and white about setting goals. Um, so when I went from running my first marathon to getting this idea of qualifying for Boston, I was BQ or bust, you know, it was like, I need to either run under a 335 or I completely failed. Um, and that's a really hard way of thinking um, because you only have two choices. You only have two outcomes. You either did well or you didn't do well. You passed or you failed. Um, and in the real world, it's not really like that. Um, so when I kind of changed my mindset, I started, you know, thinking about goals as like, yeah, time plays a factor, but like this past fall, my goal was to get as close to 310 as possible. Um, were there some workouts that told me I might have been able to break 310? Yes. Um, so, you know, if, if my goal had been, oh, I have to break 310, well, then I would have felt like 312 was a failure. But that really wasn't the way I was thinking about it. I was thinking about just getting as close as I could. And so that let me be able to be happy about what I accomplished and then realize that there's more I can work for. So I would say in terms of, of longer term goals, you know, this year I'm applying that same kind of thinking. Like I'd like to get as close to three hours as I can. Maybe that'll be a 306. Maybe that'll be a 302. You know, I don't really know. We'll have to see how training goes. Um, but that's definitely on my mind, that three hour mark. You know, I never thought I would be in this position to actually think that that was achievable in my future but I, I it, it does seem somewhat realistic now and then you know I think it'll depend on how long it, it takes me to do that and just kind of how I'm feeling you know I do think it would be fun to kind of take maybe an entire year off from marathoning and I can't even believe I'm about to say this but maybe just try to run some hard 5ks and, and see where I could go there I don't think I'm a very good 5k runner but the idea of like trying to break 19 minutes is kind of cool for some reason so so we'll see we'll see where I end up that's funny. See, I thought at the end of that sentence, you were going to say the opposite. You said, I don't know if I'm, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I thought you were going to say that you were going to try ultra running because what you'd said earlier in the show was that, you know, when you first got involved with running, what excited you was setting distance PRs. You know, so you just tapped into something there, which is kind of funny. Um, so my bucket list race, like the one race that I have always wanted to do, and I don't even know why is the Comrades Marathon in South Africa, which is not a marathon. It is 56 miles, I think, 89K. Yes. Um, and it's like the world's oldest ultra marathon or something like that. 
Um, I'm going to sound completely uneducated now. I used to read all about it a few years ago, and then I kind of got um, more into just caring about the marathon, the actual marathon. Um, and so I kind of put it on the back burner for a while. But that is something that's in the back of my mind of, of wanting to do eventually. So, yeah, maybe maybe there's an ultra transition in my future, and you just called it, and I didn't even realize it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you said before that, hey, pros have, you know, their physical therapists on call. You do have a coach on call. That is true. That is true. I can kind of just reach over and poke them and say, hey, help me with this. That's true. And for people who don't know, you are, your fiance is also your coach now. Yes. Yes, that is true. I did skip that part. Yes. So, okay. yes, he was my coach and he is also my fiance. There you go. See, you're ready. You're, you're not, not near him now. You're traveling for work. But see, your coach is right there. You bother him whenever you want. Racing, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, you know, your tempo run didn't go the way you wanted it to, which for amateurs is almost like the bane of our existence is the <laughs> tempo run. Yeah. I mean, I think he loves how on call he is. I'm sure he does. <laughs> That's great. All right. Speaking of that, um, we're going to get into a little coach's corner segment. I love doing this with, with, uh, the coaches that we have on the show. Normally I do three questions, but I'm going to do one question this time because it's a biggie and I want to devote, devote as much time as we can to it. And for a lot of people, you know, it's marathon season is coming up, you know, no matter there's a lot of marathons coming up in the spring. And for a lot of people who are listening to this and a lot of people that I'm connected to, you know, shoot, April's around the corner and that's Boston Marathon time. So um, with that in mind, for a lot of people, they have trouble maintaining their goal marathon pace in workouts. Either that's a long tempo run or it's a segment of their weekend long run. And this is a huge issue for a lot of people. So first of all, have you experienced this? And second of all, what do you tell some of your clients who are going through a similar issue? Yes. So I would say this is nearly universal. Um, I have heard this sentiment expressed from some of my athletes, from some of my friends, from some of the professional runners I know. Um, I certainly feel it almost every time I have a marathon pace workout. Um, you might even feel really good about the workout. You might complete six miles, eight miles, 10 miles at marathon pace. But even if it went well, there's always this voice in your head that says, yeah, but you've got to run that for 26 miles. How is that going to work? Um, I just think it's, it's a universal thing. Um, and so there's, there's really two components to that when I break it down, I guess, in my head. Um, one would be, first of all, are you running the appropriate marathon pace or are you overreaching? Um, so a good first place to start just to give yourself a little sanity check is, you know, are you doing what I was doing in my early marathoning days where I was picking a marathon pace that I wanted to run rather than the one I was in fitness to run? Because that's always going to feel harder. Um, and it's probably always going to set you up for a disaster of a race. Uh, which I can attest to multiple times. Um, so there's many like calculators out there. Uh, there's the VDOT calculator. There's the Macmillan calculator. You know, uh, they're not promises. They're not guarantees of race times, but you can plug in a recent result from a shorter distance race you've run, and it will at least tell you, you know, approximately what a reasonable marathon goal would be for you. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot of assumptions into account, but it will at least tell you like, hey, am I shooting for something that's reasonable within where my fitness is? Or am I just shooting for something that's pie in the sky right now? Um, 
So once you've kind of done the sanity check on that and you know that you're running a pace that is a reasonable marathon goal pace, um, it's honestly kind of just trusting the training. Um, you know, you're doing all of these workouts with so much cumulative fatigue in your legs. Nobody's going out completely fresh. Um, you know, if you were to take a few weeks off, recover, just run easy, and then go out and run eight miles at marathon pace, it would feel like cake. It would be one of the easiest workouts you've ever done. But that's not the scenario under which you're doing these workouts. You've usually had, you know, a, a shorter you know, shorter interval, hard track session earlier in the week, or maybe like a lactate threshold type of tempo session earlier in the week. Um, you're doing this maybe as a component of a long run. So you might've had a long warm up, like six miles, eight miles, something like that. And then you're trying to hit marathon pace. So what it's really feeling like is more like those last miles of the marathon, not the first miles of the marathon. Um, and that's what it's designed to really s simulate. Um, so you can't think of it in your head or frame it in your head as this is how it's going to feel when I'm at mile one in Boston, you know, hopefully not. If that's what it feels like, then you've gone out way too hard or something's wrong. You're sick or something like that. Um, so you just kind of have to let yourself feel those feelings, I think, and then let your logical side take over and just realize you're not fresh. You've got heavy legs. Your, your coach or your plan or whatever it is that you're, you're doing to prepare yourself is going to prepare you in the best way possible. And, and you just kind of have to trust that and, and keep going. See, I've heard several people answer this question, and I hadn't heard anyone say what you just said in terms of that this is supposed to mimic the end of the marathon, not the beginning or the middle. And that's so I feel like that's so enlightening because – that really sets people's mind at ease because everyone knows the end of the marathon is supposed to be hard. So if you yeah. say, Hey, that's going to be hard. This workout was hard. All right. Well, it's easy to then, you know, compare apples to apples in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, it all depends on what the workout is too. You know, you're typically building into these exposures of, of marathon pace miles. You know, if your plan is having you start off with 10 miles at marathon pace, um, I'll just be blunt. I think that's a crappy plan. Um, you know, it does take some building up to. So, you know, if you're in the beginning of the cycle, you're, you're, you know, 16 weeks out, 14 weeks out from your race. You know, if you have a session that's like three by two miles at marathon or three by three at marathon, that's not going to be as hard. That's not as taxing. Um, you know, it depends on, you know, kind of, I guess, what your buildup has been like so far and what kind of fitness you're in, but assuming everything has gone well, you know, that shouldn't take too much out of you. And then the idea should be that you kind of gradually build that exposure over your training. So you finally build to a place where you're running maybe eight continuous, 10 continuous, 12 continuous, you know, depending on, you know, your volume um, miles. And then at that point, you know, it's, it's going to be a hard workout. You know, you shouldn't see marathon pace and immediately think easy peasy in your mind. Um, you know, it is going to require you to work a little bit. Um, but that's how I always think of it is, you know, this is, this is the end of the marathon, not the beginning. Yeah. And it's funny that the beginning of this answer, you mentioned that everyone, you know, from amateurs to professionals feel, you know, kind of have this same issue, which I think is so enlightening because you would think that after your first marathon, you would no longer have this issue. You'd say, hey, I, re oh, I remember gold marathon pace workouts. Those are tough. But it's almost like we have this, like, I don't know, like, 
like this established amnesia when it comes to goal marathon pace and workouts that all of a sudden we forget what happened in our last cycle. And all of a sudden we do, oh, this shouldn't be that hard. I'm going to be doing this for 26 miles in a couple months. Oh my gosh. No, it's so true. Like amnesia is the best way to put it. And I mean, also, I think, you know, hopefully as you're going through, you know, life and training cycles and all of that, like you're hopefully getting fitter. Um, so, you know, you're ho- hopefully your marathon pace is getting faster. And I think that can be a, a real like mental stumbling block for some people. At least it was for me. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I was running 5Ks at a 710 pace. So if I see a marathon pace workout written at 710 pace, there's still a part of my brain that's like, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. This can't be right. You know, and that kind of takes a little while to to sort of get over and, and realize, like, you know, you're you're just gonna you're just gonna kind of cruise on into this workout, and you're gonna be there, and you're gonna run it effort, and it's gonna be what it's gonna be. It's gonna be fine. There you go. Sounds great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those it's one of those topics that can really be anxiety inducing. Because all of a sudden, especially if it's like three or four weeks out from the marathon, right before your taper, you have one of these workouts and you're like, oh, crap. Right. Oh, like, yeah. oh, what what am I going to do at start at the starting line? Like, This is not you know, you really you have to have a lot of faith either in yourself, somebody else, the V dot calculator, something. You almost have to have yeah. a lot of faith in something or all of those things to then say, OK, well, you know what? When I get on that starting line, you know. I'm going to go out at this pace and like come hell or high water. Hopefully I can keep it. Yeah. I mean, I remember the last long workout I did before CIM and I think it was, you know, now I say, I remember, I, I remember doing it. I don't remember what it was as written, but I think it was something like two by five at marathon or something like that. And um, my fiance was nice enough to run some of it with me. And it was so windy that day. And he wasn't saying anything about the wind. And I'm like basically dying. And marathon pace feels so hard. And I eventually kind of have to back off it a little bit because I just realize I'm working too hard. I'm ruining the intention of the workout. The workout finally finishes. And I'm just feeling totally dismayed by this. Like, oh, man, like, I think I need to reassess the, the goal. And he just turns to me. And he's like, man, it was windy as heck today. And I was like, why did you not say anything? <laughs> you would have used my mind like an hour ago. <laughs> so it's like conditions can play a role in it too. And, and that you need to kind of remember as well. You know, if you're running into a 15 mile per hour headwind, well, good luck hitting marathon pace. You're not gonna, you know, same thing if it's like 80 degrees with, you know, 90% humidity, you're not going to run marathon pace. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't matter if you're elite or a walk runner, it's just not going to happen. Um, so you have to take those external factors into account too, and not let them completely destroy your mental confidence. Well, that's a great way to end it. Thank you, Heather, so much for joining me on the show. This has really been uh, not only fun, but very interesting as well. Awesome. Well, hey, I'm glad you enjoyed. Hopefully other people do as well. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So good luck in 2018 and happy running. Same to you.